you can turn with me. We're going to be in a couple of different places. Um, we'll start off in Luke chapter 9, though, in just a second. Um, uh, don't let me forget, I did forget to announce this as we were, if you want to come and be a part of the Senior Adult Rally and you need a rider if you want to meet up here, Miss um, Virginia's going to be here. What time are you going to be here, Miss Virginia? At 10? About 10 o'clock is what time you would need to leave and stuff, all right? So if you need a ride to that, you can come here, and Miss Virginia will be here and give you a lift. Now, I will tell you this. Miss Virginia drives at about 90 miles an hour in about two seconds, all right? So just bring your extra braces with you, all right? Okay, so we're talking about spirituality. Remember now, we're talking about all the different aspects. The Lord gives us a great commission, and he's commanded us to go out and to what? To teach, uh, to what? To baptize to make disciples, and we're to go out and to do these things, all right? So the mandate for us is to reproduce ourselves and to make disciples and to do that. So not only does he tell us how to do this, but he tells us what to do in the process of that. So uh, there's, there's different aspects of what it means to be a follower of Christ. There are what? Physical aspects, spiritual aspects, mental aspects, um, emotional aspects, and then social aspects. And we're going to look at all of these over the course of what it means to reproduce ourselves as a disciple and a follower of Christ. If we don't have these aspects in our lives and they're not fully functioning, then what we're going to do is when we pass on our faith, those folks are going to be missing some of the same things that we are. So our job is to get ourselves in line when we go out and to, to reproduce ourselves and make sure that we're fully functioning as followers of Christ, okay? So that's what we're looking at. The first aspect that we've been studying is our spirituality. Last week, the spiritual aspect of this, we looked at lordship. Now, everybody wants Jesus Christ to be Lord of their lives in the sense of that that gets them, that's their key into heaven. So when we receive salvation from Christ, um, we accept lordship. But we don't understand what that truly means. We talked about a lot of it last week. We won't go back into all that over that. But there's really two aspects. When we give ourselves to Christ and we make him Lord of our lives, there's a secondary aspect which we don't really want to give up. We like control. We like control of what's going on in all aspects of our lives, and we want to know how to deal with all of that, and we want to know what's going on, and we feel like if by being hands-on like this, uh, we have some say in what goes on with us. And in, in our individualistic cons uh, con uh, culture that we live in now, uh, it's very prevalent. Everybody wants, it's all about my rights, right? Um, I want you to go in Scripture and look and tell me how many times you find out where the Lord says that you have rights. He doesn't. It's never said. Scripture says that we're a slave to one of two things. We're either a slave to our sin or we're a slave to Jesus Christ. So you have a master. The master is either the sin that's in your life or Christ who is in your life. So if Christ is your master and you've made him Lord, then this aspect that we're going to talk about today has to be given up. Now, Karl Marx says this. Karl Marx says religion is the opiate of the masses. And there is some truth to that. I'm not talking about religion today. I'm talking about a spiritual relationship with your creator. When we turn things into religion, it comes into a bunch of laws and remember how the New Testament, Paul says this over and over and over to us. If you want to go look in Corinthians, if you want to go look in Galatians, the law cannot save you. The law can only condemn you. Only thing that can save you is a relationship that you have with the creator, God, through the salvation that's offered in the life of Jesus Christ. 
So that's the only way that we're going to be able to have eternal life and to have this kind of relationship. So if we're going to re- rely on religion, then, then we get into this. Now, now look, there's a lot of different things that are going on in the world right now, and I really don't want to get into it a, a whole lot, but uh, different faiths are warring in factions, right? So you can go in the Middle East and you have Muslims. They don't really like Jews, do they at all? You know, then you have the Jewish faith. And um, really, nobody likes the Jews, right, at all. Then you have Christians, uh, and then you have Hindus. And, and, you know, see, there's all these different thought processes of what eternal life looks like or what life after death looks like, all these different things. And what's espoused in those faiths cause conflict. And so when we get into our religions, that becomes an opiate. What does an opiate do? Do. It drugs, it numbs us, right? It dulls our senses of what that. So here's my little thing. Tim says, so this is a Tim theology right here. Tim says, masses are the opiate of the faithful. And what do I mean by that? We want salvation. So we all come to church and we all do what the religion tells us to do, which may be to come down and be baptized or, or to come forward or to say this prayer or to do these things because we think that that unlocks heaven for us. But I'm telling you, without a relationship, that is nothing, nothing at all. It is a religious exercise. And we are fooling, not God, but we are fooling ourselves if we want to rely on that. So what we see is all this mass of people that wants to come into the church to receive salvation and go to heaven so that they can have something after this life but they really don't understand what that means relationally. And when we see all the masses, the church gets all excited because we're all about numbers, nickels, and noses. Have y'all ever heard that before? Numbers, nickels, and noses. So we want the number of people here, and then we want the, the nickels that they bring, all right? And then we want the noses to be able to go out into what? be leader of something, this, that, or the other. So we get caught up in these things. And so by getting caught up in these things, we focus on the wrong stuff. So today, when I say that we have to have lordship to have a spiritual relationship with God, this is the second part of that, or the flip side of the coin. And we must open ourselves up to this, because without this, we're never going to have truly what God wants us to have. We'll start in Luke chapter 9, 23 through 25. It says this, And he said unto them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is it if a man profit, what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, or depending on what translation you may read, it may say soul. So the soul is the spiritual aspect that we're talking about here. That's what's eternal, right? That's what makes us different from all other life forms that are created, is that you and I have a soul. We have the ability to have a relationship with the Creator. That's why He made man the way He did. That's why He gave us dominion the way that He did. So there's responsibility that comes with that, but there's also something that's special that nobody else has. So what if we gain everything in the whole world and forfeit our soul? What have we actually gained? We've gained nothing, all right? So if we want Jesus to be Lord of our life, then leadership 
is the second half of that that we have to have. What is leadership? Control, guidance, and direction. What does this passage say to us? If you want to follow after Christ, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. In other words, whatever God gives to you as what he wants you to do. That's your purpose, your plan that God has laid out for, your, for, the, for the life in which he's given you. And if you're going to do that, that's going to bring salvation to your life because you've laid it down. But if you want to keep your life, you're more than welcome to keep it, but you're actually in the end going to what? You're going to lose, all right? So when we look at leadership here, we want to look at the control, the guidance, and the direction that God gives. David said this. Now, look, I've given you uh, in Psalm 63, 1, I thought this is really cool. So at the, at the first part of it, you know, a lot of times we just give you the scripture. If you go in your Bibles and you have one of those Bibles that give you a little bit more detail and a little bit more in depth than just actually the lines and verse of scripture, this is what it said on the one that I was using. It says, this is the thirsting soul satisfied in God. That's how that's how it describes what we're about to talk about, what David is saying here. This is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Does anybody know what was happening when he was in the wilderness of Judah? He was being chased, right? Saul was tracing him, trying to what? Kill him. And when he was there, all these armies are out after him. He has a few people that are following him around with him, but... What is he thinking? He's thinking despair. He's thinking of a life without hope. He's like, I've stepped out. God's called me to do these things. I'm supposed to be this. And now all this. I've killed the, the person that was trying to wipe out our entire culture and way of life and brought victory. And now I'm going to die for all this. It just doesn't seem right, does it? But look what he says. Look at what the prayer of David was beside all of that. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So he knows where he's stuck. He's stuck in a place that is very dry and it doesn't look like there's much hope. But what does it say that is going on with him? He is seeking God earnestly. So if you want the Lord to be leader of your life, you have to seek him casually. You have to seek him earnestly. So when you seek after him earnestly, then what? He says not only is he seeking after him physically by actually reading scripture or spending time in prayer or putting his body to work for the Lord, but he's seeking him spiritually. He says, my soul, what? Yearns him. Do you spiritually try to seek contact from God each and every day of your life? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? See guys, if we really want the Lord to be Lord of our lives, then he must be leader of our lives. If, it's, if he's leader, then it's I that no longer liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. If he's leader of our life, he's leader of every aspect and area of our life. If he's leader of every aspect and area of our life, then we are seeking him each and every day as we journey with him. Not apart from him, but with him. And so when we do this, when we have this kind of connection, when we have this kind of relationship, there are four things that I want you to see about leadership that happens. Leadership is about truth. Remember last week we talked about lordship is about trust. The leadership side of 
what the Lord has to say to us is truth. We have to believe that God is who God says he is. I know my plans for you. A plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. We talked about this in Sunday school today as we were talking about sanctity of life. There are three things that remain. Those three things that remain are what? Faith, hope, and love. All right? So if we lose our hope, we lose our future. You know, none of you ever think about the future, right? Nobody in here ever thinks about the future, right? You never make plans for anything that's going to happen after this moment in time right now, right? You don't even know where you're going to lunch today, do you? You're just living by the moment. Nah, man, some of you have day timers out. You know everything that's going to be going on this coming week. You have appointments, don't you? Some of you may be going to the doctor this week. Some of you may be going to see someone else. Some of you may be traveling this week. There are different things. Some of you are coming to church on Wednesday night because Tim just brings them in that way. That's the way it goes. Even without food, they're just coming from a, for Bible study on Wednesday night. <laughs> that was a joke, and y'all. There we go. That's better. So I want you to think about this. We have our life scheduled out. We do that. And look, I understand that. There are things that we do need to plan for. But the reality is that we're walking daily in God's hands. Each and every moment of that. And so we have to understand that leadership is a matter of trust or belief that God's got our back in all this. Sometimes bad things happen and we don't understand why they were happening. We were just sitting up here talking to begin with and Walter and I were in a conversation. He's an only child, I'm an only child. We got talking about life growing up. I've lost both my parents. I've lost both my parents tragically. So one day we're all good, the next day we're all not. In fact, the 28th of January is going to be 25 years since I lost my dad. I lost my dad 25 years ago. Let me tell you a little bit about that day. We were in a uh, Disciple Now weekend at the church. I was a student pastor. 1995. I had 40 kids in two different houses. Junior high and senior high. I was, had gotten up on, Sunday, on Saturday morning and um, I was bringing ice to one family because they didn't have enough ice from their uh, refrigerator and stuff like that to take care of all the kids. So I dropped off an ice chest full of ice, got on the church, gotten all that stuff, taking it to their house. Had stopped by our house to see Tamara and Delaney. Delaney was the only child that was born at that time. And all of a sudden, at, at our house, I get a phone call. And I was working for a company called Fastenal at that time. I sold nuts and bolts, uh, commercial industrial supplies, and this was one of the job sites that I worked. So when I first picked up the phone, it was the construction manager for the job site at the University of Georgia. It was called the Student Physical Activity Center. Then it's called the Ramsey Center now. And so he called me and he said, Tim, there's been an accident. Your father has fallen. You need to go to the hospital. My dad had fallen from a 30, foot, 30 feet from a scissor lift. Uh, couldn't get in touch with my mom. When I got to the hospital, uh, his heart was still beating, but he was essentially gone already. The doctor came out and said, I don't even know where to start. His pelvis is broken. He's busted the back of his head. It's, you know, there's, there's really just nowhere to start, but his heart's still beating. Do you want to come back and see him? So I went back, and um, it was not a pretty sight at all. I won't go into too much description on that. 
But then I came back out, and my mom showed up at the hospital. But by the time I'd gotten out and everything, he'd already passed. So she never got to go speak to him, never got to you know, say goodbye to him, any of that kind of stuff. We go through these things. If we don't have belief or faith, how do we live through that? We had just gone the Saturday before. I was thinking about this this weekend. We had just gone the Saturday before and put a contract on a house. We didn't have very much money. We had taken everything that we had pulled together over the course of the last few years where Tamara was working as a nurse, and we pulled it to get a down payment. It was going to be our first house. We lived in a modular home at the time. And so (laughs) the Saturday before, my dad had left work early to come and go with us to look at that house. That all changed. We tried to get our earnest money back. They wouldn't take our earnest. I mean, they didn't want to take that. They wanted to keep that. We lost earnest money. People were suing us to buy a house, and we had just lost my dad. It was horrible. It was a horrible, horrible time. My mom came to live with us. She was in a rental. It, it, look, if, if it's as bad as you think it can get, that's as bad as, it, as what we were going through. If you don't have belief or faith in, in Jesus Christ as your leader, how do you make it through that stuff? I don't see any way, form, or fashion that you can or do. But the world tries to do this on a daily, daily basis. And when we say, Jesus, we want you to be Lord of our lives, because we want salvation and we want entrance into heaven, then we have to understand that with lordship comes his leadership. And just as much as we look at the the truth of the word of God, then we must trust in that when when a rubber hits the road. Because there are degrees of difficulty that are just too much for us to emotionally handle. And this is why soul comes first. Because spiritually, so many times, we start with the emotion of it. And the emotion of it says that God doesn't love me. Why would God allow bad things to happen? This is what the world says all the time. We live in a sinful world. We mess this up. And it's messed up for all humanity. So the only thing that we have is trust, faith, hope, and a love relationship with God to see us through. Psalm 23. We read this all the time at funerals. I say this at funerals. This is a psalm of the living, not a psalm of the dead. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Think about these things. Look how he's taking care of us. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still or quiet waters. He restores my what? Soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for what? His name's sake. This is truth. This is trust in that. So when we trust in that and that he is Lord of our life, we have to believe that it is truth. And so that when all of this goes upside down for us in the world, that there's some kind of way that we make it forward, that we walk that path that he has called us to. The second thing that I want you to see what the passage tells us up here is that leadership is about truth, but we seek the leader. We are not in control. We are followers of Christ. In fact, that's probably the best description of us. We call ourselves Christians because scripturally that's what it tells us in the New Testament. They, were, they first called themselves Christians. The way, but they called themselves the way before that. But really, earnestly, if we seek the Lord, we're actually followers of him. 
So to call ourselves genuinely what we are, we should refer to ourselves as Christ followers. We're followers of Christ. That's a better description. Because once you say Christian, then you go, are you Methodist? Are you Baptist? Are you Episcopalian? No, I'm a Christ follower. And if we're a Christ follower, first and foremost, all the other monikers or, or names or tags that people can put on us, they go by the wayside. And when people speak out in culture, I love it when you go somewhere and you buy something. And I know Chick-fil-A you know, has the little things that they say. But when someone tells me after I bought something from them or gone through a line and I've waited and they say, you have a blessed day. When they say that, I'm going, I'm connected to this person right here. Because somebody out in the real world just trying to live apart from the Lord doesn't say, have a blessed day. They say, next, get out of here. So if someone takes the time to say, have a blessed day to me, that means something. They have a connection there. And I have a connection with that person. I shouldn't walk up to them and say, hey, are you a Methodist or Baptist or Episcopalian? We're a Christ follower. There's something there that connects us. And we know that just from a few spoken words. So we should seek the leader. Proverbs 8, 17 says this, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me find me. In fact, what I've already given you earlier from, from Jeremiah, it's, it says that the Lord wants to, to bless us, to prosper us, to give us a future and a hope. It says right after that, when you seek me, you shall find me. So understand this. The things that the Lord has promised to us, they need to be sought out. It's not just our osmosis. I know that this is a computer, so it probably doesn't have the same effect. Let me do this. This is better. You just don't stick this up against your head and have it all come in, do you? You can't wear the Bible like a hat and think it's all just going to, because it's downhill, it's just going to flow. It's going to naturally come into me. It doesn't. If I go on Sunday morning and the preacher preaches a message, that ain't enough for the week. You don't eat one meal a week and think you're going to just make it for the rest of it, do you? We eat constantly. Three meals and snacks. How, why is it that we don't seek God that way? Why is it that we think once is enough? On a weekly basis, I can come in contact with God once in a week and it's going to be okay. We're going to have a great relationship. Does that work in marriage? Does that work with your children? Good grief. Mallory's out of town this weekend. Tamara has called her or texted her at least a half a dozen times. She's only been gone 48 hours. She's 24 years old. Come on. Why is that? We have a relationship, a natural connection there, right? You want to stay in contact. If that's true with us 
humanly, what about us spiritually with the Lord? We seek him. Luke 9, 57 and 58. Notice this. This is the same chapter that I'm given what I've already given to you from. So this is just a little further down. It says this. We're going to look at these. <clears throat> when we seek the Lord, what's going on here is that the Lord has come in contact while he's out on the road with these folks. And look what happens or look what they say to him. The first one that comes in contact says, as they were going down the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of God has nowhere to lay his head. What do you think the Lord's trying to say to that person right there? Yeah, that's right. When, when James and John's mom showed up to Jesus and said, I'm making a request here that one sits on your left and one sits on your right when you get into heaven. And then the Lord turned to them and said, what? To the, to the mother. The Lord said, you have no idea what you're asking. He says, I don't control that, by the way. But you have no idea what you're asking. So this guy walks up and he says, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus' answer to him is not what we would expect. He didn't go, come on, join the crowd. See, that's what we're into, remember? I said that the masses are the opiate for us. Come on, join the crowd. Follow along with all of us. We have no idea what we're getting into when we become followers of Christ. But because his word is truth and we trust in that, we know that he's got our back no matter what we want to do or where we're going to go. We seek him. He's got us. The second thing, we submit to the leader. We yield. I love that word. Have you ever thought about yield? Yield is a twofold word. Yield is all about surrender. When you come to a yield sign, you don't have to stop, do you? But if anybody else is coming, your job is to what? You're to stop and allow them to go before you. So you're surrendering your right of way. Guess what? You run a yield sign and you hit somebody, who's at fault? You are, because you didn't stop. You did not surrender. So the Lord is saying, if you're walking on your journey and you're alone and you're by yourself, you've got the road, you're going. We're together. You're never alone. I'm with you. But if someone else comes along, you immediately go where? To the bottom. The scriptures tells us this over and over and over again. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. You're never first if there's someone else in line. So hearing that and understanding that is two different things. Submission gets hard because the more that the Lord puts responsibility-wise on you, the further to the bottom you go. Do you get that? So the more responsibility the Lord calls you to, the further to the bottom you go. Now think about this in culture today. Pastors of churches 
are not seen as the chief servant. They are seen as the what? CEO. That's so in conflict with Scripture. I'm not the chief executive officer here. I'm ultimately responsible to God for all of you. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Oh, no, I'm glad. I'm glad. I got you back. So ultimately, spiritually, responsibility-wise, that's what God has laid. So that's further to the bottom. That's not rising to the top. So there's an inversion that takes place from this when we surrender. But yield also means what? So it's just as much as yield means to stop, surrender, allow others to go, submit. What, is, what else does yield mean? When you're a farmer, yield means what? Crops, produce, production. We're talking about this exponent, exponentially. The greater that we yield, the greater the yield. Don't need to say that again because that's worth writing down. The greater that we yield, the more that we yield. So the more responsibility God gives to us, and the further we go to the bottom, the greater the yield. And that can be exponentially. It's not just the pastor that shares the gospel. It's all of us that share the gospel. What is the yield of that potential? So as much as I stand in a pool or I stand at the front of a church to baptize someone or to see someone come to the Lord, that is the yield or the work of the entirety of the flock. There's a great expanse. This is how the Lord moves beyond one plus one plus one, plus one. This is how we move from addition to multiplication. No one is here by chance at all. Elizabeth's brothers are here from out of town today. They hear a message from God. What if he go, they go back to work? Columbus, and God puts that to work. God puts that into use this week. So we've multiplied out from flowery branch all the way to the other side of the state. This is what God does. This is how God moves. It's never static. It's never status quo. Luke 9, 59 through 60. The second guy comes up. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, look, we don't get this, all right, because we look at this and we say, that's so, that's so unmerciful from the Lord himself right there. This guy's dad is passing, and he needs to go bury him. That's not what that meant culturally. You know what that means? That means my dad is covering me. I'm living under his household. And until he dies, I don't have any responsibility. And when he dies and I'm responsible for all that, then I'll go and follow you. 
So what the kid is actually saying is, as long as my dad has my back here, I'm going to live under this covering. And then when his covering is gone, I'll take your covering and follow you. It could be years before that father dies. He's not having to pay for anything. He's not having to be responsible for anything. Sound familiar? You got this. The dad's paying all the bills. When the dad's not there anymore, I'll leave all that behind and go follow you. Sounds like the guy's just going from one place where he doesn't have to worry about responsibility to another place he thinks he's not going to have to worry about. That's not what the Lord is saying at all. So he tells him to leave that all behind right now and come out and follow me. And that's so against culture. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents not allow kids to go on mission trips because they thought that they would be in a place that might not be safe. I get it. But you're never, ever, ever truly going to value what you have till you don't have it. And I can tell you this. If you've never left the United States, don't ever complain about the United States. Because I've been in some places. mm, It will change your life. When there is no toilet for you to use. It will change your life to see how other people live and what they call food and what you call food. I've been fed meat, and I swear to you, it is not meat. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't what they said it was. And I'm pretty glad I didn't know what it was. (laughs) And that's okay, because that teaches us to value a value meal down at McDonald's. Because I can tell you, when I walked out of that country and I got to the airport and I got McDonald's, I said, this is like the 80s, y'all. And it was like $9.95 for a McDonald's, a fries, and a Coke. I was going, please give it to me. I'll take it. Here's my $10 easy. It's only $3.95 in the United States. What's going on? I ain't paying that much money. Give me the burger. See, when you make that sacrifice and you understand it and you walk on that other side, it teaches you to value that which you already have. We are so blessed. We submit to the leader. We yield. The last thing is we sacrifice for the leader. We surrender. The third guy. And to another he said... I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to all those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. But what if? What if I hadn't done that? I'm going to tell you, ministry for me and the sacrifices that I've made personally 
they don't affect me near as much as I've seen how ministry affects my wife and my children. And sometimes I will tell you this. I have sat back and thought, man, what in the world was I doing? Going into ministry like this has changed my children. There were times, I'm going to be honest with you, and a couple of my kids, they didn't really love the church because they saw how the church was treating daddy and mama or what, my, or what daddy and mama were going through at that particular time in the church. That's hard to deal with. It really is. But I'm not the leader. I'm just the follower. And I will tell you this. We have been totally, completely honest with our kids. It doesn't always mean it's going to end in the way you think it's going to end. But God's got it. It was never mine to begin with. I'm not in charge of it. And when you look at things that way, then God control, is he not? I've spent 20 years, almost 20 years, planting two churches. Neither one of them are called the name that I called them when I was there. In fact, neither one of them are of the same denomination anymore. But I will tell you this. The places that we went and the sacrifices that we made, ministry is still going on in those places. Now, as a Baptist, some people say that I failed because they're not Baptists anymore. I can't help that. God called me to go do this, and I went and did that. And it may not look like everybody thought it was supposed to look. I'm not the pastor of those places anymore. Isn't that what you do? You go start a church, you get to stay there and pastor those churches for the rest of your life. You never have to worry about a job anymore. Or an income, right? It's not my kingdom. And make those choices. God does. And he's got that. Now, those are tough things for us to be okay with sometimes. Some of us have to do tough things in our lives. We take care of or we serve somebody some, some way, shape, form, or fashion, and it can take years. And you can look back and say, what would I have done if I'd have had those years back in my life? Or you can say, what would that person have done without me serving them? What would that person have done without me there to care for them? And I can look around this room right now, and I could personally call out just in the last few years situations and circumstances for some of y'all where y'all have gone through that. Don can sit here and think of all the people that he went to battle with that didn't come home. But they went to battle. They drew arms against someone else because that was the thing to do. God calls us to put on the full armor of God and every day go to battle. He is Lord of our lives. And he is the leader. 
I'm going to give you something that's homework. You can go look this up. I'm not going to be able to give you chapter and verse because this is coming to me right here at the end, and I, I didn't go put this up, so this is not in my sermon notes or anything like that. Go look in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, they cross into the promised land. When they cross into the promised land, Joshua goes out. <clears throat> I think it's around chapter 6 to 8. You're going to find it right around there. So Joshua's, Joshua goes out, and, and he comes upon this person, and this person meets him in the road, and he says that he's the captain of the army. And he tells him that he's on holy ground, take off his shoes. And he does this, and Joshua has this conversation with this person. You know who that person was? It's Jesus Christ. It's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Most scholars believe that he saw, who's the captain of the Lord of hosts? Not an angel. Christ himself. Angels didn't say, take shoes off for me. You're on holy ground. In the Old Testament, Joshua was meeting the Lord right there. And he is standing before him as they go in the promised land as the what? Captain of the Lord of hosts. When they got over there, they said, these are giants in the land. There's too, many, too much stuff. We can't do this. But before they ever started to Joshua, their leader, the leader appeared. And he said, I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. I got this. Go do what I've called you to do. I don't know what God's telling you to do. I don't know what you're in the midst of. God's got it. And you got to know in the depths of your soul that it's true. And you got to trust that. And over the course of time in your life, no matter what age you are, God is going to test that out. And you will have to make sacrifices to serve him, to submit to him, to seek him. Because he is the leader. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the fact that we can come to Scripture and we can see, Father, um, what it truly means to have a relationship with you is deeper in a lot of cases than what we make it out to be surrendering our life to you to follow after you to make a decision to follow you is simple and it really is but father the salvation process the sanctification process the becoming more like you process is a journey that lasts our entire lifetime and Lord, we so need to be prayed up. We so need to have on our spiritual armor. And we so need to be ready spiritually through scripture for the days that lie ahead. Help us not to just come to you and flippantly say, I will follow you. But to earnestly seek you, knowing that you will bless us through every single bit of that. Even when we mix in a little bit of that human stupid. You still got this. Even when it doesn't turn out the way we think it should have. Or somebody else thinks it should have. You got this. 
May you be glorified in everything that we seek, say, and do. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing. The altar is open if you need to come and uh, spend some time with the Lord in prayer. If you need someone to speak to personally or to pray for.